Well, good morning to each of you. Uh, this morning, let's take a, a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for our passage to consider today. The last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5 as we gain um, a confidence about and an assurance about the afterlife and our salvation. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is describing his service to Jesus Christ. He talks about in verse 8 how he's afflicted in every way, but he wasn't crushed. He's perplexed, but not to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's talking about uh, all of the things he goes through in order to serve Christ and what it costs him physically and emotionally and personally. But he wants to encourage these Christians in their service in the kingdom. Uh, and he begins in the, the verses here in chapter 4 I want us to look at is starting in verse 16. Therefore, or so then, we do not lose heart. Though the outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this, this light momentary affliction, and, and I, I like the way he describes his... Remember, he's been stoned, he's been beaten many times, he's been left for dead, he has to work with his hands to support his own ministry on top of the rejections he gets almost every synagogue he preaches in. And he calls it a momentary light affliction. And he says this, is, this momentary light affliction is preparing for us or working for us an eternal weight of glory, that's in verse 17, that is beyond all comparison, all exaggeration. Uh, he says in verse 17 that everything he goes through in order to serve Christ and preach the gospel, share his testimony, everything that it cost him is actually adding to his glory after he dies and goes to be with the Lord. It's working for us an eternal weight of glory. That's what he says in verse 17. Uh, someone said, uh, compared it to uh, when we die and we're in the presence of God. Now this is for Christians, for those who belong to Christ. And we go into His presence. Uh, the comparison was that we're, we're all going to be full of joy. Uh, nobody's going to lack. Nobody's going to be half full. We're all, all going to be full of love and full of the glory of God. But capacity will be different. Just as a thimble might be full, and a barrel might be full. They're both full and running over with water, but they have a different degree of fullness, a different capacity for fullness. 
And in the same way, Paul is saying here that everything I'm going through is just making for me a greater capacity for joy. I don't want to be a thimble full. I want to be a barrel full of joy and glory and love when I'm in heaven. The degree and capacity of happiness there depends much on what we go through and how we handle it here. In other words, Paul says, I'm not going to waste my sorrows. I'm not going to waste my pain and suffering here. I'm going to make sure that I respond properly in faith and in love so that what God does for me as I continue to look and notice the condition that's important that makes this so. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The condition by which we increase our capacity for eternal joy is we keep our eyes on the fact that there's another world, there's another dimension, there's eternity, not just this age, but there's an age to come. And we are to live in light of that. And knowing that and being confident of that and knowing where I'm going after I die, that enables me, as he puts it here, not looking to the things that are just seen. Because we, we tend to invest everything here. Everything's about here. And Paul says this, this life is getting ready for the next. And you think about it, 70 or 80 years compared to an eternity. So this is the, the, the gist of what Paul is saying and giving to us. The condition of our increasing our joy there is that we look not at the things that are seen, verse 18, but things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are very temporary. So we're able to serve Christ and be renewed. He says the outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. We're renewed by constantly remembering the next life. That it's not only there, that it not only exists, but it's actually, the way he puts it here, the things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal. The, 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 the eternal dimension is actually more real than the visible. Uh, because it's eternal. It never passes away. And then he goes into chapter 5, verse 1. This is the next section I want us to look at because he, he gets more specific here because he wants to encourage us as we serve God to continue to serve God in light of the next life. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, and he's, he refers to his body as a tent. Now, he was a tent maker. In Acts 18, he, Paul's called a tent maker. So he, he's familiar with tents and how you make them. And so he says, For we know that if this tent is destroyed, we have another. God's not made with hands. All the tents he made were with hands, obviously. But he says there's going to be a tent. God's going to give us a body that's an eternal dwelling. It's going to be a body that will never decay. Not, 
temporary, but permanent and eternal. And that's, that's what he puts in, in chapter 5, verse 1. If this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. And Paul is saying here, we know this. And I think that's important. Some people talk today about dying with dignity. But I'll tell you how to die with dignity. And that's die with certainty. Die with confidence. Now you may not have come today to hear a sermon on dying. (laughs) Someday you'll be glad you heard this. What Paul wants us to know is to have an absolute confidence when we come to that point. Let me give you this little story. Uh, Adoniram Judson, who lived in the early 1800s, is a brilliant young man raised as a Christian, graduated from Brown University. He was valedictorian of his senior class. While he was studying there, he met a young man named Jacob Eames, Another brilliant student, skeptic, unbeliever. And so as this Adoniram Judson, young Christian, talked to Jacob Eames, he, he, had, he loved his flippant, frivolous approach to life. And he hung around him all the time that he was in school and, and, and actually embraced his philosophy of skepticism. I don't know if there's an afterlife and I'm going to live for here and now. And and Adoniram Judson decided, after he had graduated, he told his broken-hearted parents that he was no longer a Christian. He was going to go to New York and study the theater. As he journeyed, or at least on one of his journeys, he came to what we would call a hotel, an inn, to spend the night, but he couldn't sleep because in the room next door was some poor man dying, literally on his deathbed, and he was just shrieking and agony and cursing and and anxiety and burden about life and of death. It was as if, he said, uh, it, it was as if he was sinking into condemnation with no forgiveness or confidence at all. The groans of this young man next door lasted through the night, and at the next morning, a shaken Adoniram Judson approached the clerk and said, Did the young man die? He said, Yes, he expired sometime this morning, early this morning. He said, Oh, boy, that was, I hate to hear it. He said, uh, Do you know his name? He said, yes, it was Jacob Eames. That was the young man he was in school with that had talked him out of his faith. And here he was all night long listening to his agonizing struggle of dying in unbelief. It so shook Adoniram Judson that he sat. He just went and sat down and ultimately returned to his home, returned to his faith, 
And God called him to the mission field and at age 25, Adoniram Judson became the first American Protestant missionary that was sent out from North America. And he was, by the way, a Baptist. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Those were the good days for Baptists. And he served in Burma for almost 40 years. Burma is today, I think it's called Myanmar, population of about 50 million. But one and a half million Burmese are professed Christians. And most of them can trace their roots back to Adoniram Judson 150 years ago. He knew what it was to hear a man die without confidence. And he said, I, that's not a life I want to give myself to. I want to give myself to a Christian faith that knows whom they believed and is committed to Jesus Christ and can face every enemy, every fear, including death in the confidence in Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul, when he starts chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know that if this tent, this earthly home, our bodies is destroyed, we will have a building from God. And in order to support our confidence and help our assurance, he lays out for us these first verses, verses 1 through 3 and 4 of Second. Corinthians chapter 5. And here is the thing that Paul is saying. When you become a Christian, your spirit becomes new. Right? You get a new spirit. You're born from above. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is, not shall be, but he is a new creation. All things passed away, behold, all things are new. You get new appetites, new desires. You get new, uh, a, a new heart for Christ, a soft heart for God. You, you desire the Word. You desire to worship. You love His people. There was, there's a whole new range of things that happen when you become a Christian. As he puts it in chapter 4 that we read, uh, he says our, in verse 16, chapter 4, our outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed every day. The inner man is new. But the outer man, and there's some you know, tension here. See, because the body is still connected to old Adam. When Adam fell in, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and fell, and it says in Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed to all of us, Romans 5.12. So death has come down to us. The current of decay, sickness, and age has come down to us from the first sin that entered in the Garden of Eden. So our bodies are connected to old Adam, but our spirit is connected to the new Adam, Jesus Christ. Our spirit is new, our bodies are old. So that's the tension. And our spirit wants to go for God. And our bodies say, dude, chill out. (laughs) 
Our bodies say, don't get too excited. Let's watch TV for, for an hour. When our spirit says, read the word. And the body says, I'm really sleepy. Uh, we had, uh, some of y'all remember that the pastor we had in Arkansas came up and preached for us. Uh, just a dynamic preacher, Terry Simpson was here. He's been a missionary and a uh, church planner, and he came and preached. And uh, the praise team was singing, and it was awesome. This, and on this particular night, I was standing in the back. And I'm standing there worshiping God, and hey, minding my own business. <laughs> and, but oh, it was so powerful. And man, I said, God, I praise you. I love you. Oh, I want to express my devotion. Now, I don't speak in tongues. I can lift my hands. And the Holy Spirit said, run. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, run. Now, I understand that I have a... Well, okay, for one thing, I'm a little overweight. Uh, but I also have... When I was three years old, I had polio, so my, this, my right leg is weaker and about an inch and a half shorter than the left leg. So when I run, my kids just guffaw. They think that's the funniest looking thing they've ever seen. So I, I, but I ran. I ran right up the aisle. I ran right around that group that was on this side, and I ran right. I made a figure eight all the way around. <laughs> And I, but it, if you can call it, it's not going to be in the Olympics. But it was my version of a run. But I just remember thinking, you know, one of these days I will have a body that will match my spirit. Right now my spirit is new, but my body is connected to the old Adam. And it's the outer man is wasting away. But the inner man's renewed day by day. But one of these days they'll be caught up together. They'll match Instead of having a, having a Cadillac motor in a Pinto body, <laughs> I'll have a, a space shuttle motor in a... I don't know, whatever. Forget the metaphor. <laughs> but, but, so this is where we are right now. The outer man connected to Adam continues to weaken, decay, and die. But the spirit is new, made new by the Holy Spirit and renewed on a daily basis as we walk with God. Now here's a question. Why doesn't God, if I have a new spirit, why doesn't God just take me home right then? When I get saved, why doesn't He just take me home? And let me give you um, Philippians chapter 1 verse 22. I think we have this one. Philippians chapter 1 verse 22. This is why you are here. If you're a Christian, this is why you're still here. Paul says, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two that is going to be with the Lord or staying here. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Or on your account. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy 
in the faith. You see that last phrase? That's why I, I said, I want to depart. I'd love to go and be with Christ. My body is worn out. I've been stoned and beaten and rejected so many times and bearing the burdens of all these churches is killing me, he says. So I would love to go and be with Christ. But he said, I need to be here for your progress and joy in the faith. He still had some letters to write. Praise God that he left him here. He still had some churches to start. He still had some dreams to get fulfilled in the kingdom of God and some prayers to pray. That was Paul's, that was Paul's vision. And here is the thing that I brought away from this. He says, I remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Children need their parents so that those children can have progress and joy in the faith. Wives need husbands for their progress and joy in the faith. Classes need the teachers. The children's classes need the teachers for their progress and joy in the faith. There, think God leaves us here. If He's done with you, you wouldn't be here. The fact that you are here means that someone needs you for their progress and joy in the faith. That's your purpose for being here. It's not, to, it's not to see how big of a house you can build or how fancy of a car you can drive or how fancy of clothes you can wear. It is for the progress and joy of somebody's faith. Now, as you do this, you will find inconveniences they, and cost and rejection and sometimes despair and tears as you try to help people with the progress and joy in the faith. And here's what Paul is saying. Every tear you shed, everything it costs you, only adds to the weight of glory that you are increasing in the time to come. That's the point he's making to you. Do not fear suffering for Jesus Christ. It adds to the weight of glory. The capacity moves from a thimbleful to a barrelful. God, fill me with all the fullness of God, but increase my capacity for that fullness. And so we welcome whatever comes then to us. Uh, in, uh, give me that next one, number four. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-3. Look at the text and the terms that he uses here. As he puts it, we know if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed. Now that's where we are. That's, that's our outer body. We have a building from God. God's got this thing. The architecture is already laid out. He's got, we've got a building waiting on us. It's not made with hands. It's eternal. It's going to, we call it immortality. It will not perish. It will not die. It will not decay. It will not fade. It will not weaken. Glory to God. Watch out. I'll be running again here in just a minute. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But now, but now look at verse 3. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. There is one coming, but what does he mean by naked? So when you look at this, Paul is indicating that there are actually three 
stages to our salvation, including the afterlife. Now let's, so put that up there. The, I want us to note three particular stages. Give me that next slide. There's the present state. Um, this is where you have a new spirit with an old body. That's what you have now. I know some of you are young people, but your body is old. It's getting older. Uh, that's why he says in chapter 4, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. You're, when you're a Christian, you have a new spirit, but the outer man is still old, connected to Adam. Okay, that's stage one. And uh, he says, in this tent, we do groan. <laughs> I like the way he puts that there. So uh, in chapter 5, verse 2, in this tent, we do groan. Now, that's what he means there. The present state, new spirit, old body. The transition state. That's when you have a new spirit and no body. Because when you die, your body doesn't go to heaven. It goes in the ground. Right? So your spirit rises to be with the Lord. And as he puts it here, it is called... He says it, I don't want to be found naked, verse 3. He calls it being naked. In verse 4, he says, While in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we want to be unclothed, but ultimately to be further clothed. He calls it being unclothed. So your spirit has no body. It goes into the presence of God without the body. Now that's the second stage. But I want to pause here because I don't want you to get the idea that that is bad. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Look, you're with Christ. You may not have a body, but you're with Christ, and that's called home in the Bible. That's what he calls it in verse... Seven, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. Verse 8, we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. Even though your spirit doesn't have a body, it is home with the Lord. If you're going to be naked, it's good to be home when you're naked. <laughs> Paul's unclothed, but at least he's with the Lord, which is far better. And another thing about this is, that your spirit, in the, when it goes to be in the presence of God, Hebrews 12 says, uh, and give me, give me that next one up. You'll have to skip one there. This is Hebrews 12. talks about our worship. We come to worship. You have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels. This is talking about contrasting with coming to Mount Sinai and then those Christians who we come to Mount Zion where Jesus is, dwells. This is what we do in our worship. We're, we are come to innumerable angels and festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, 
And notice, notice that in verse 23. We come to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. When someone dies and goes to be with the Lord, the, the righteous, the Christian, the word righteous can also be translated justified by faith. Those who are justified. They are spirits. They don't have their body yet, but they are spirits which have been made perfect. No imperfection whatsoever now. No impurities. They are perfect before God. Now when we come to worship, there's like a spiritual communion with with God and angels, and the spirits of those who have already gone, and they are made perfect. And we join in a worship service on a Sunday morning. It's like a little touch of heaven. We commune with God and the angels and the spirits of those who have been made perfect. Now you read that Hebrews 12 and you'll find it's about worship, coming to worship on a Sunday morning. The third stage is, the first stage is a new spirit with an old body. That's where we are now. The second stage is a new spirit with no body. That's when you die and go to be with the Lord and your spirit is made perfect. The third stage is when you have a new spirit and a new body. Hallelujah. A new spirit, that's the final state. Now, when does this take place? This takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's an interesting verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Give me number 7 up here. Here's what it says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's talking about Christians who have died. But he says they are asleep. Now, he does not mean their spirit. Their spirit is very alive in the presence of God, perfected in life. But their bodies have been put in the ground. In fact, the Greek word for cemetery is the, is the Greek word for, uh, or the Greek word for dying is the Greek word for sleeping. Sleeping and cemetery are like the same thing. But what he... What he's saying here, your body is asleep. And the reason he uses the word sleep is because it's not permanent. When, if, if you say someone has, is asleep, okay. But if you say they are dead, that's a whole new dimension. And the Bible always uses the word sleep to describe the Christian who has died. And the reason it uses the word sleep, you remember when Jesus talked about Lazarus? He told his disciples, he said, I've got to go raise Lazarus. And they said, well, what's wrong with him? He said, he's asleep. <laughs> and the disciples said, well, if he's asleep in John 11, if he's asleep, why bother him? And Jesus said, I mean, he's dead. Oh. And what, but Jesus didn't like to use the word death to describe Christian people. So because the reason is because sleep is not permanent. Sleep is just temporary. So when Paul says, I, want you to be in an, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. 
that you may not grieve like those who have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. He just says don't do it like you have no hope. But then he says, for since we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him. How's he going to bring with him? I thought they were in the ground. No, that's the body. The spirit that is there with Jesus... At the second coming, when He descends, He brings with Him. And the bodies, He goes on and says in verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead, the dead bodies will rise up and the Spirit as it comes down and they will meet together in the air. That's the resurrection. That's the second coming. And what a glorious day that will be And because that, that's also a reunion time. So you get all of that resurrection, reunion, immortality, the spirit joined to the body, a perfect body and a perfect spirit. All You think that ain't going to be one happy day? What a day that'll be. Now that is the third and final future state, and it takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The spirit he brings with him. Paul wants us to see that next life as a great motivation for Christian service. I want to give you this before I close this morning. I first heard this from Dave Stone down in Louisville, but it's, it's also in a book, and, uh, and it's also... Uh, you can hear the story by Beth Moore on YouTube... But you may have heard uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, the singer, gospel singer, and his wife Mary Beth. In May of 2008, they lost a little girl named Maria. She was five years old in a car accident. And uh, uh, Mary Beth Chapman was already considered uh, clinically depressed. So this just devastated her completely. And as she grieved uh, day after day, and she would seek the Lord and she would pray, and it was like God was, would speak to her and, he'd, and He would say, I, I want you to share your story. I want you to speak. I want you to teach. And she'd say, God, I, I can hardly get through the day. How am I going to get up and talk to people? And finally, they asked the pastor to come over one night, and they knelt and they prayed. Mary Beth Chapman prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, please show me my little Maria is okay. Please show me in a dream. And she, as they went to sleep that night, she didn't have a dream. But... A few days later, she got a call from Beth Moore. Uh, some of you may have heard of her also. She's a, she's a teacher in Texas, Dallas, Texas area. Stephen and Mary Beth live in Tennessee. But they're good friends, Mary Beth Chapman and uh, Beth Moore. But that night, it, uh, Beth Moore had this dream of her good friend... Mary Beth Chapman, getting up to speak. And as she was, she's walking up behind a podium, kind of like this, 
And as she began to speak, she said, and I could also see little five-year-old Maria just almost prancing around behind her. And she was so happy. She had on this beautiful, had a little beautiful print dress and kind of hanging on to her mom while her mother was sharing the story of Jesus Christ. And she woke up, and here's what uh, Beth Moore says. She said, I am 53 years old. I have never had a dream in my life. I am not a dreamer. She said, I can eat like hamburgers and pickles and uh, spicy food. I do not dream. But on this night, I had such a dream, I thought it was real. I woke up and I thought, boy, do I share this? Do I call my friend and tell her this story when I know how fragile she is? She said, no, I don't think I will. But several days went by and she said, I've got to do this. So when she called her, Mary Beth Chapman said, when did you have that dream? And she told her the night. And it was the exact night they had prayed that God would give her a dream. Then they thought, why did God give it to my friend? And the thought was, I think from God, where God had just said, if I gave you a vision of your little girl in a dream, all you'd have wanted to do is sleep every day to try to get that dream back. And the whole point is to do your duty. Finish your calling. Get up in front of that podium. You need to know she's fine. But your task is not finished. You're still here. And that is God's call to us. That is what Paul is saying. Look, those who have gone before us, hallelujah, perfect in spirit, someday perfect in body and spirit. But right now, what is our calling? We know that when this tent is destroyed, God has an eternal home, an eternal building for us to dwell in. But until then, we will pay the cost, we will count the cost, we will shed the tears, we will give the money, we will do whatever it takes to serve our God and advance the kingdom forward. And every bit of pain and toil and tear and sorrow that comes our way because of our task, it just adds to the glory that awaits us and will make the reunion all that much sweeter. And until then, dear people, let's serve Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and not reserve an ounce of strength. Let's give it all to Him. In the name of Jesus, amen.